Okay, so what do you want to chat about today? Well, I have got a few questions. I've got a few questions from other people. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm not even going to bother introducing this. I'll, I'll introduce you a bit, a little bit. But I think people just people people fucking hate intros. It's like they just want to listen to a podcast. They want to just put it in yeah. their ears and go. So um, I'll give I'll give a little bit of a, an idea as to who you are. But people, most people who listen to this will will know how you, who you are and what you do. Um, so essentially, yeah, mate, we're just going to chat through a few questions that I've got that I personally cool. wanted to ask you and I thought that would provoke good conversation. And I also sure. also put it on my Instagram, put it on a few of the things that I run and got a few very, funnily enough, very similar questions to what I wanted to know. So we'll, we'll yeah. just run through them and see where it takes us. So guys listening, um, if you don't already know Valentin, Valentin is a natural pro bodybuilder. He's also a coach um, and he's also... Uh, a person that you should be following, in my opinion. He's uh, he's slowly getting to grips with the Instagram story feature. Uh, so he's he's been a bit more active on that. And the way that you speak, Valentin, is, is very good. So you should continue doing more of them for sure. Um, and, and, and just, uh, I think from my perspective, within the fitness industry and within potentially this niche of bodybuilding coaching, I relate very closely to what Valentin has to say. And I think a lot of topics me and Valentin tend to agree on, um, or at least have similar opinions compared to others. So this will certainly be one to listen to, guys. So first things first, you had an extremely long year last year. Um, whether people followed it or not, your year was quite dense in terms of the the competitions that you did, and at the yeah. end, at the end, I remember when we spoke, you'd finished. And sure. at the end, things sort of seem to potentially sort of start to diminish a little bit in terms of the way that you looked and, and the way that things were running. So what I want to know now is what has that prep taught you in terms of what you'd potentially do in the future with regards to a natural bodybuilding contest prep? Awesome. Yeah, man, that's a great question. And I've been thinking about that a lot because... To give people some perspective, I started my prep in November 2016, yeah. and I started with Cliff Wilson, and then I did my first show at the end of April, did my second show at the end of May, and then we decided to jump into another show in mid-August, and that was a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can now confidently say that, and, but at, at the end of the day, I'm still very happy about the, about the experiences I've made. Sure. Because now I can, and I really know what I will change for my next season in 2020. Yeah. And even though natural bodybuilding preps by nature are longer and should be long, and time is your number one ally, you have to be very careful how long you extend your prep, your season between shows. Because going from the end of May to the middle of August was brutal. It was brutal, man. Going from the end of April to the end of May was was a piece of cake. It was nothing. It was just sure. hey, I'm motivated. Um, I'm still I still feel like I've retained all my muscle. Uh -huh. And I, I want to do shows. I want to get better from show to show. But in the midst of like June, I was getting the feeling that I won't be able to top my shape from the end of May in sure. August. Sure. So I was just not able to peak from show to show, right? I was feeling like oh, my, my shape is just diminishing. So, did one, you, Valentin? Did you realize that at the time? 
Like, did you, yes, did you, did you, did you definitely see it? Yeah, I saw it and I definitely felt it because it just felt so horrible. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's a difference between just feeling horrible, like the typical prep zombie mode, and just feeling down all the time, like Shit. having no joy in life at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's basically what it was like 24-7. And if the, the big takeaway for people is take your time, yes, make sure your starting point is on point, but don't to extend your season over a certain time period right mm. so my first show was like i was like prepping for i think it was 30 weeks sure yeah and, and that's that in my opinion is a perfect time frame but then extending that again and again and again it's just it just gets brutal and all of a sudden you're in calorie deficit for 40 weeks that's not good man yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not good it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the reason why I asked you, did you notice, is because I think that definitely towards the end of a prep, we get to the point where we're quite neurotic in the way that we analyze ourselves, and we tend to just look for one thing. So, like, yeah. you know, I knew I knew that when I was prepping, I was just looking for condition. I, I really, I really dogged off fullness <laughs> ages ago. But in the yeah. initial phases, when you're kind of fully fed or at least more fed you do you do care more about fullness and i i, I yes. see i see that in people i see that a lot like people call off preps because they're like i'm too small i like i don't I, i've lost too much muscle but yeah. i at the end of my prep i only realized that i'd lost a lot of fullness between um late august and november i only i only realized that when i look back through pictures i was like holy Fuck, I lost a lot of tissue off my upper body. Um, Dude, there is one. Uh, there were guys from Germany visiting the gym and they took a picture with me and it was like in the middle of them and they were quite tall. And, and if I look back at that picture now compared to the way I look now, um, it is crazy. The difference is insane. And back then I was just feeling down and I was just feeling tired from prep. Yeah. But I didn't feel that small. No. But I was, oh man, I was tiny. Yeah. So, um, you will lose fullness, no doubt. That's yep. just part of the game. Of course. But the, the longer you extend this whole thing, the more fullness you will lose. It's mm. so. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, and on that topic, did you did you find that your upper versus your lower was different in terms of the way that it would distribute body fat in terms of it coming off? Yes. I mean, what I see with most people and what I see with myself is that upper body is ready early compared mm. to the lower body and I mean that's usually the case the glutes the hamstring yeah, just, just physique, something that mate. <laughs> yeah man that just holds fat for, for so long and actually for my first show it took us like until I think 16 17 days out until until glute lines showed up mm. and all of a sudden they were there and within a week I made like three weeks of progress but uh, those areas are usually the last one as ones to go and I definitely after May I had so much trouble maintaining my conditioning in my lower body it was just a mixture of adherence problems a mixture of um, water retention all that stuff just overall stress and that really showed in the lower body the upper body um, I think it was fine but um, if you if you if you're depending on your balance as a whole as as as, as far as your physique goes um, you really have everything has to has to stay where it, where it should be, and that wasn't the case by probably mid June. 
Yeah, for sure. It's something that I talked about mid my prep. I was like, I think one of the genetic traits that would make a really good natural bodybuilder or a bodybuilder in any any division, untested or not, is yeah. to have favorable body fat distribution so that it comes off evenly. Because therefore, yeah. you you don't have to you still have to sacrifice an element of fullness, but you don't have to sacrifice so much, you know, yes, off absolutely. one area. Um, That's actually one thing I was. Um, that was actually one thing that I that people keep asking me about because when I now post pictures and yeah. they see I still have abs and I have some some detailing quads and stuff you like do, that, yeah. and they think you you look amazing, like you've built so much muscle. And, the reality is, I didn't build that much muscle. It's just the body fat distribution is very favorable. Yeah, like I have, six, I have a six pack, whatever I do. I have veins in my forearms, whatever I do. But yeah. if I really would have to diet down again, everything is in my glutes and hams, man. And that just takes forever. Yeah. And basically, after four weeks of dieting, my abs look like on stage, right? So on the money, yeah. Yeah, that's just body fat distribution, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd say once you're once your legs got got lean from from a quad perspective, uh, I, I've I've very rarely seen quads as detailed as yours from like top yeah. to bottom. I, I'd be very yeah. interested. Just whilst we're on the topic of that, you do I know like cause is is not correlation. So whatever you did might not work for someone else, kind of thing. But is there any anything that you would think? I've done this for years and it really paid off in, in getting sort of top to toe quad development in terms of what you've done with training. Not really, man, except, no. except then, except that I just hit every rep range in the book and tried to progress my across several rep ranges. That's basically the magic of it, right? Six. The next you throw, you throw, you throw, yes, always you just throw in genetics and there you go. That they are, they are my quads. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I didn't do anything fancy, no. Mm, for sure. So moving on a little bit into your off season, because we kind of touched on this last time. We you're yeah. at you're at a point where you just sort of exit, ex, exited your prep, and you were sort of sort of going back and forth with yourself as to whether you like the idea of pushing up and pulling back, pushing up and pulling yeah. back. And I remember yeah. I was having this chat, so. Since we've had that chat, what's your opinion now on the off-season for a natural bodybuilder and how we should potentially approach things if the goal is maximum muscle gain? Yeah, I still think I'm still in the, in the camp of, of Cliff Wilson and trying to, to extend your growth period and try to go long-term and try yeah. to stay long in a calorie, def, uh, calorie surplus as possible. Sure. Um, because I really think if you want to approach it more aggressively and with more with shorter phases, like doing three months of massing and then do a mini cut and so on and so forth. Um, it can work definitely and it depends on your character, but that would, with that approach, we are also assuming that you're growing faster in those three months than somebody who's just taking eight or nine months at a time to grow. Sure. And sure. I think the total time spent in the surplus is so much more important. And um, since my show in August, I haven't done a mini cut or anything. Um, Cliff has just adjusted adjusted some of my macros and we've gone up and down because I still had some adherence issues because the prep was so brutal. Yeah, sure. But, but I feel pretty good right now. So the thing is, I don't feel like I have to mini cut right now. Yep. We will mini cut soon. But that's just that's basically we just take what what it gets us, 
and it's just a luxury, but I don't have to mini cut because I feel like shit every time I look into the mirror, right? So I think that's really, really important with guys coming off shows. As long as you can stay away from another calorie deficit, the better. So yeah. stay in your surplus, progress your lifts, and just try to get everything back to normal, right? Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And on that topic of feeling back to normal, you you put a post up a long time ago, I think. Well, actually, yeah. quite recent. Not not too long ago. In terms of the reality of how long it takes to feel normal, because so I think you hit a point where you just felt one week and you were like, "All right, this is what it feels like to be normal." So, how long did it sort of take you? And and when did you when did you actually realize that everything started feeling more normalized? That was around mid January. Okay. So, um, so that's a good six to seven months yeah, since the show, sure. and I think it really depends on how aggressively you've dieted, how long your prep was. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, genetics always play a part, but I think most importantly is to you have to look at the length of your prep and how long you stayed in a calorie deficit. And I was, it was very eye-opening to feel normal again in January because all of a sudden going to the gym again and lifting and everything was just was just heaven again. It was like, man, this is really, really fun. Because until then it was just, okay, I feel better and better every week. But you still feel a little off, right? Mm. And it's, it's, it's a very good feeling to be back, back to normal because now I just, it, it, lifting in a calorie surplus and progressing in a calorie surplus is a piece of cake, man, compared to doing all this in a deficit. Yeah, I mean, when I see people, powerlifters or strong and whatever, complaining in the gym about training, I'm like, dude, you're always eating. So <laughs> this is fun, man. Yeah, uh, it should be fun, and it's so much easier when you when your calories are. So yeah, I think that from a motivational aspect as well, it's just like you're progressing lifts. You're not. It's uh, the battle of retention is fun for a while. But then yeah. it just gets to a point where you're like, fuck retaining. Like, I just want to actually beat some numbers and walk out feeling like I've done something productive, you know? Dude, this is one aspect I think that is greatly misunderstood about all of this, about bodybuilding, especially competitive bodybuilding. The prepping and all of that is fun and fine. Yeah. But you're just revealing your improvements, right? You're not improving during prep. You're not building shit. So <laughs> as soon as you're back in the surplus... And you're progressing lifts again and you're getting stronger and you can see progress on in your logbook and you just see something is happening and I'm getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. I, that's the stuff I really love about it. And that's one of the reasons why I want to stay away from the stage until 2020 because I really want to enjoy that again. And I enjoyed that so much, especially in 2015 and 16. And then prep was coming and it, it's, it's long, man. It's just a long prep and the time it takes to get back to normal is long. And I was just talking to Cliff about it recently and he was saying the time frames in this sport are insane, man. Because you start prep in November 2016 and in January 2018, you feel normal again. Yeah. I mean, what That's a long time, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it's not just doing a three-month diet and doing a show and then two weeks later you're back to normal. So you have to be aware of that and really, really enjoy the process of building. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. I, on, on that topic of, of the length and, and the implications that it makes, I, I actually made a post or something either on 
YouTube, Facebook, something <laughs> about the fact that you see quite a, a weird correlation with, and I'm not sure you've, if you've noticed it through following forums, etc. But I've noticed a weird correlation between a, a wild, uh, like a, a amount of low calorie dieting within like IFBB pros who you'd yeah. expect to be on a greater caloric intake when dieting, considering body weight, what they're doing, etc. And you see them doing, you know, large amount of of expenditure with, coupled with very low calorie diets, and I think it kind of begs the answer that they are competing on a far too frequent basis. Correct? One hundred percent, man. Yeah. Take take time off from the stage because that's where you get better. And competing too often, I mean, some people just love competing. We both love competing, right? I wish I could compete this year, you know? Yeah, and exactly. It's just not possible to compete at a high level every year for most of us. Mm. So um, there's sure, there's some genetic freaks that can do that and just get on stage every, every single year and probably even look better or look the same. But if you really want to improve considerably, you have to take time off from the stage, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, so... One of the things that I do sort of like about you and the way that you, the way that you sort of you you preach things is certainly within your training. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I think that it's a little all or nothing approach and it, it, it's wicked. So, where where would you say over the last sort of couple of years and even throughout your the majority of your training career, where would you say you learned and agreed with the majority of the knowledge that you implicated into your training? So, what sort of people? Did you follow to gain the knowledge that you have today that you've implemented into your training protocols? That's a great question because I was thinking about this today when I was writing a post on Instagram. And the thing is, about three months into finding out about bodybuilding, I found IntenseMuscle.com. You know, there's the forum of Dan Strudel and, and Ken Skip Hill and Scott Stevenson and all sure. those guys. And they had a huge impact on my thinking as far as what bodybuilding is and how you should organize and program. So those people are definitely have definitely been a big influence. And it's always people that surround those people. Like you have like you have Jordan Peters, you have James Hollingshead, you have all those guys from the UK who I really look up to because they preach not the fluffy pump stuff bodybuilding training that you see from the genetic freaks who can just grow off three sets of 20 yeah. for whatever muscle group, mm -hmm. but they just preach progression and progression will be king. And whatever you try to do, you have to get better. And getting stronger is such a crucial part of bodybuilding. And to this day, this is probably the thing that stuck with me the most that if you don't change the loads you're moving, you won't change yourself. Something has to change along the way, right? Uh -huh. Whether it's reps and sets, whether it's the weight, whatever. But um, you have to force things. And people just think nowadays if they have a perfectly fully periodized program that is evidence-based and whatever, that if, if, if they follow it for long enough, they will just grow a lot of muscle and get super strong. But that's not the case, man. You have to force things. Your body doesn't want this. So uh, we have to we have to really push it. And like you said, it's an all or nothing approach. And I think attitude and mindset is a big part of this because we don't have a lot of time to do this, man. We sure. have to hurry. We have to maximize every every day, every week, every month, every set, every rep to get the most out of out of this. Because people are always asking me about uh, my next my next season, my next competitive. The season that I'm, oh my god it's so far away and to me it's not really far away man 
because in two years I'm going to start prepping again. That's just two years of me being able to progress and get as strong as possible in all kinds of rep ranges, right? So I want to maximize my time and I really hope, especially the young guys getting into this, get this from the very early on because the sooner you understand how important time is, the better you will be in the end. Yeah. So yeah, those, those are just some, some of the people that come to mind. Yeah, lovely. I yeah, I think that's awesome. And uh, you know, uh, one of my caveats to that is a lot of people when we talk about intensity, we talk about progression of the logbook and all of these scenarios that that make an effective training program in our eyes, a lot of people will come back to that and sort of say, you know, oh, you need you need to manage fatigue, you need to manage intensities. And of course, we we agree with that in a sense and and we're, we're supporters of that in a sense but i think people get the message mis miscommunication they they see an intense set from us and expect that that's everything we do in one yeah. session and that session looks like that throughout every single set so yes. one question that i have to you is is how do you go about managing the ability to perform sets of maximal intensity so when you go for that set that's all or nothing how do the preceding sets and the preceding workouts look to, to surround that yeah you certainly at a certain strength level and a certain training level you can't just go balls out every session that's not sure. going to happen sure. sooner than you will injure yourself or you will just never progress mm. but you can you can certainly manage your sessions in a way that you build up in short time frames to that one session where you just destroy everything and try to PR yeah. and I think so much is restricted by the way we think about this and what we especially if you read a lot of stuff and consume a lot of information you're basically a victim of that information because in the back of your mind you're thinking I shouldn't be able to do this because of this, this bubble right yeah exactly and all of a sudden you're in that in this big and you're not able to get out so um, I think most people, most people that are listening to this are certainly able to progress from session to session. And if you're getting more and more advanced, right, um, that won't happen in, in a, in a, at a certain pace. But it will certainly be able that you will certainly be able that you improve by one rep, for example, mm -hmm. then another rep, then another rep. And over three weeks, that's three additional reps and then maybe up the weight and then drop down in reps again and then start building up again. And you just do that over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. and it's boring. To us, it's not boring because one rep is, is man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about one extra rep. For sure. Because I know what's going to happen next week and next week. And I'm just excited if I can keep a lift in my logbook for a very long time. People always come to me and they're like, I've been doing this exercise for like six months and I keep progressing and it's boring. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? You are progressing a lift for six months. That's the best thing ever, man. Yeah. <laughs> you there for like 12 months, you can still progress. So um, the longer you can stay with the main lifts and the longer you can progress them, the better. And like I said, the, your pace will depend on your training level. And the more advanced you get, the slower it will be. But you take every bit of progress you can get. And if it's just a single rep in a session, that's, that's totally fine. What's your opinion in, in, on that topic of exercise rotation? You see a lot of coaches sort of preach that 
to progress, especially when you stall, potentially exercise yeah. rotation is, 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 is an avenue for that. And we can yeah. we can take a lift that's now stalled and implement a very similar movement pattern to, to therefore progress the lift. So w- what do you do personally when you when you find a lift that stalls? Do you do you rotate that exercise? And how does that look like? First of all, look at what lift stalls. Secondly, I look at how long it stalls or basically how much time I give it before I kick it out. But usually I like rotating exercises as long as it's not becoming a habit, right? Some people just have weak muscle group and it's just rotate out lat exercises, for example. Oh, wow. Yeah. And all, what the hell are you doing? Just, man. So that is, you have to look, first of all, at, at exercises. So exercise selection. If we're looking at, for example, something like a lateral, I mean, that's hard to progress, right? So we have to give isolation movements more time to progress in comparison to certain compound movements. And at the same time, we have to look at how long are we accepting a lift to stall. And usually I have like, I usually tell clients that if a lift stalls for two sessions, then afterwards we're gonna kick it out and find something new. But the most important thing is that you are aware that if we introduce a new lift, you have to kill it right out the gate. Just don't think you can, can, can train moderately with that new lift and just see progress again. You just have to go all in again and try to bump you up your numbers, right? Yeah. So uh, I think that's really important. Once again, mindset is crucial here and you should hold on for your dear life for for every lift uh, you have in your program and only rotate them out if they really start stalling. And yeah, like I said, the smaller the exercises, the more time I give them. But the bigger the movement, the longer I try to keep them in my brain. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. From, a, from an execution perspective, we, we, we know the importance of performing movements with, with, with good execution and good form. I, I think over the, the last year, uh, especially since Jordan, who you follow, um, perhaps took a slightly different approach to the way that he might look to progress some of his lifts that have now rocketed yeah. to the point where he's adding you know extra bits of kit to add more weight to machines yeah. etc yeah you know since he did that which was warranted in his position yeah. a lot yes. of people have, have harped on and, and joined the the execution bandwagon and started loading up incline hammer strengths with one plate and really trying to fill their upper pectorals etc yeah. like what's your opinion of that and especially as a younger trainee how do you think people should potentially analyze their execution and understand whether they're performing things with both enough intensity and accurate execution? Yeah, dude. First first of all, make sure you frequently film yourself during training because that will give you so much information you can use along the way. Yeah, and sure. I wish I still had my old training videos because I deleted all of them. Oh. And that was a huge mistake because it's just wouldn't love to share those but at the same time i would love to look at them how i executed my lifts because i'm sure there was some things were wrong with it but yeah the thing about progressing and execution is you have to find it because if you try to be super anal about your form on side laterals or curls or whatever you will never gonna curl any appreciable weight you're never gonna lift anything appreciable on those isolation exercises and the same goes for for heavier heavier movements for compound movements you just have to watch uh, injury risk 
And Tom Platts once said, an injury, an injury um, without risk is not worth doing. And he's 100% right. Because if you just yeah. go through your mind what exercises are super, super safe, they usually don't do shit. So <laughs> you, have to, yes. you have to look at exercises. Like if you look at the heavy exercises, you want to keep form definitely stricter. But you, like I said, you have to find a happy medium between um, execution and progressing your lifts. So I am, I am, I followed Jordan and his his moving towards more execution uh, the last year, and I think that's very reasonable for somebody in his position and at his level. Yeah, nowhere else to go, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Yeah. There's there's 200 pound dumbbells, and that's it. <laughs> so slowing everything down and focusing more on execution and going down to the 150s is probably a good move for him. But if you're not in that position, you want to move up. You want to move up. And, and, you want and, to move up. Yeah, and, and to be fair, on the topic of Jordan, I never saw a lift from him that looked out of place. Like, oh my God, never. his pressing was always sublime. Like, yeah, uh, it, it never looked bad. So it was like, it was for him, it was literally refining stuff, putting a cherry on top of the cake kind of thing. Yes. Whereas yes. with other people, you know, and I, I made a post about it the other day about the amount of clients that I, that I have that, you know, will send me through initial training clips. And I'm like, you do not have a clue how to train whatsoever. And it's yeah. just, it's just unfortunate, dude. It, it really is because they've got appreciable physiques, but they've built them out of horrendous training. So they make incredible progress in such a short time period by purely just yeah. training, training properly, you know, training with, with, with decent execution. Um, yeah. So do you, do you work with clients sort of on, on that perspective? When, when, when they sign up, do you get form videos or do you sort of say throughout, throughout the process of working with them? Do you, do you collect videos of them hitting new lifts, etc.? I do definitely. Yeah, um, sure. It depends on the on the training level of that person because uh -huh. sometimes somebody comes to me who is really advanced and I already follow them on Instagram or something. Yeah, and they perfect. Just follow. Yeah. I don't really have to see training videos because I know everything is on on point. Of course. But for other clients who I really want to know what they're doing when they're in the squat rack or doing a deadlift. I definitely get regular checkups and see what they are doing with their lifts. Mm, yeah. 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 Numbers are just numbers without, you know, actually performing it well. You know, you can write write down a one eighty deadlift in a book, but if you're if 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 it's a horrible deadlift, it's not a it's not a number in the book that can count anymore, you know? Dude, absolutely, especially when it comes to judging proximity to failure. Yeah. Um so many people tell you about I don't know, okay, you should do two reps in reserve on this set, and then they see the video and it's like six reps in reserve, and like, what the hell are you doing? Um, so that definitely makes sense to get video feedback if you use something like reps in reserve or RP or whatever, to just check if they did understand what you're trying to achieve here. But with somebody who's more advanced, things get a lot, lot easier. So, I, yeah. I I think that's one of the limitations when it comes to, you know, fatigue management or, or, you know, leaving reps in the tank, etc. within a program, because I see most newer trainees, mostly training within an intensity, which is lower anyway, um, yes. for the most part. So then telling a, a, a newer trainee to then again, leave more than that is, is essentially just going to, and, and no wonder they'll, 
like no re there's there's no surprise that they'll progress from week one to week seven it's because they've gone from fucking easy to relatively easy you know yeah and that's just what is that seven weeks of training yeah dude, but that's a scale as well right fucking yeah. easy to relatively easy is a scale so there's pro- progress but <laughs> yeah. i think i think we are nowadays a lot of people are using all the information that is out there to justify um training like a pussy basically yeah. so uh, i think that's a huge problem because um I, I know quite a few guys at the gym where i train they train every and they do moderate volume to high volume. It's not like they're doing four sets for chest and go home. So yeah. people are so damn scared of overtraining or overreaching or getting injured. And usually it's the people that have never trained hard in their entire life that are the most scared of those things. I mean it's not bad to it's not bad to experience those things because you will gain some additional insight into your own into your own body and how you could, what you could probably learn from that is a lot more, um, is a lot better than just reading somebody else's article and they telling you what they have experienced. Experience it yourself because that's a lot of work. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. So uh, on the topic of, of natural bodybuilding, um, especially with people who doubt a lot of natural bodybuilders. I mean, I put up the the natty the natty news thing that I did the other day. And the first one of the first fucking comments was, "Oh, that Nathan guy isn't natural." And I knew that that would be the issue. And I know that in future episodes, I'll put up some freak, and yeah. they'll be natural or at least competing drug te- tested federations, and and people will comment on it. So, what's your opinion on like how people perceive natural limits within nowadays, and where do you perceive natural limits, or do you even? In your head, do you warrant a place for placing like natural limitations on things? No, actually I don't because I can't put a number on it. And I think a lot of people try to do that. At a certain body weight, you have to be um, enhanced. And that's That's just, yeah, exactly. And the, the, the other thing people make a big mistake is they have a certain look in mind. And once you're close to that look, you're immediately enhanced. So I think that's, that's a huge problem because, I mean, everybody, every one of us who has ever been on stage and posted a picture online has at least been once accused uh, about taking drugs. Even if you're like seven, 65 kgs on stage and you're just tiny and you have a picture of yourself and you're just, you're just looking amazing in that lighting with that color on and everything and people just have no they have no experience looking at pictures man i don't know i've seen thousands of pictures of bodybuilders both enhanced and natural and sooner or later you just get an eye for it so to speak yeah especially if you work with people you see so many pictures man i mean you're the same so it's it's just it's just much easier to spot things even though i think that's that's very you have to be very careful with that word but um it's for me personally, I'm very naive when it comes to um, who is natural and who is not because if somebody tells me he's natural and he's competing for numerous years, numerous yeah. seasons yeah. in natural yeah. federations, different natural federations, then I believe them, man. Same, I'm, same. Yeah, then I believe them. Why would I have to be uh, the guy that doubts everyone and everything um, when they have made reasonable progress? from year to year, from show to show, and just 
like weigh 85 kgs on stage. That's possible if everything is on point, if genetics are on point, training, nutrition, everything. So yeah, Doug Miller is obviously the number one name in that category every time that topic comes up. And I think... He's like in the 190s on stage. Yeah, man. I mean... And if, if he wanted to be, if he wanted to use drugs, like, cool. He, 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 with his height, he'd be an open-class bodybuilder. So he'd be well over 212 on stage. Yeah. You know, that, that just makes sense, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I think it was Mike Ishotel who once made um, the example of Big Rami being natural. And if he took no drugs, he would be like 100 pounds less without the drugs. So he's 340 enhanced and 240 natural. <laughs> Imagine that 240 pounds on stage as a natural. Nobody would believe you. Yeah. But, but even if you take some of the best stuff out there, 100 pounds, pounds of tissue is quite a lot. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty good example. And people just people just underestimate what hard work genetics and like decades of work can do so yeah 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 i think it's more believable from the perspective of competing in natural federations within a long period of time like you said and also the yeah. year the years of work like when i when i've and there's a there's a there's a guy unfortunately circulating at the moment that and i actually got in my dms a message of someone saying this guy should be featured on natty news and the, the, the he's 20 he's fucking unbelievable uh, yeah. i think he was like high 180s on stage okay competed in a non-drug tested competition and it, it, the only thing that's saying to me that he's natural is that he's got natural athlete in his bio and <laughs> it's just and those are the type of people that i start to second guess purely because they haven't like Kai Green proved himself in the WMBF. He was a WMBF pro. Sean Clarida is another example. Was a WMBF yeah. pro. Um, yes. You know, in my opinion, if you wanted to be the best, why don't you just prove yourself and prove to people that you were a fucking sick natural bodybuilder before you yeah. then take all the stuff in the world, blow up to yeah. huge exponential, and and become a pro? You know, like that. That to me would be the ideal route in terms of proving people wrong and proving that you've got great genetic potential in my opinion Dude, i'm with you 100 on that especially what i really like is that we by thinking like that and approaching the topic like that is that we create two camps yeah. and we have natural bodybuilders and we have the enhanced guys the ifbb and it's like we are both doing the same stuff and i'm a big fan of some of of, of those guys and i love watching those shows and I get motivation from that. So I really hate it when people are like calling calling enhanced bodybuilders cheaters and everything. Because if you prove, like you just said, if you prove yourself in that one camp and then you go into the other camp, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, as long as you don't, as you don't compete as a, as a non-natural athlete in tested shows, then everything is fine, man. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. Cool. So I, I think we've covered like a really decent amount in terms of what I wanted to ask you. Um, we've asked pretty much the majority of the questions that people wanted to ask you as well. So one cool. thing I'd sort of like to leave on, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll chat in the future as well, and we'll, we'll catch up and we'll get you back on. But one thing I'd sort of like to leave on is, is what is, what is the long-term goal for you? So you say you want to compete in 2020. You're yes. a, you appear to me like myself, a very goal and orientated person. So 
I believe that you'll have a vision in your head of what you potentially want to achieve in 2020. Yes. What is that? What do you want to do in 2020, ideally? Yes. Um, with with my last show, which was an IP Pro show in August in Chicago, and me seeing some, some of the freaks being on stage there, I just thought to myself, I know that I'm I should basically not be here because I'm just I'm just done with with this season. Um, but the goal for 2020 is certainly going to Worlds, qualifying for Worlds, which is going to be a big, big, big mission. But I will, I will, I will, I will be successful. I'm sure of that. And I just want to prove myself amongst those guys. Um, no matter, no matter what class we're talking about, no matter what names we're talking about, I think I can be, I can be competitive, and I want to prove that on stage. And I want to prove that by going, going to Worlds and qualifying for Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And will you always stick with the IPE? Is that pretty much where you'll stay? Do you believe, or do you think you'll vie for another? And how? I mean, I don't really know how it works. Whether there's any sort of cross federation guidelines, so you can't, you can't be a pro in two kind of thing. What's your opinion on that? Where do you think you'll head? That's it. I think I think a lot of federations should be more open to having pros crossover, because I mean I think. Everybody that's competing and everybody that's coaching would wish for one big natural organization, like yeah. have one amateur organization, one professional organization, like the MPC and the IFBB or whatever it is now, two bros, bros to pros, and that would be just perfect because you would have so much more focus and so much more money in one place. Crazy. Man, and the sport would be big, so yeah. much bigger than it is now. Yeah. Um, I think I still think you have some great federations out there, like the IP, the WNBF, and so on and so forth. And... I don't know if I will just compete in the IP in 2020. Okay. I will definitely compete there, but maybe look at other federations. And sure. I mean, as fast moving as this whole thing, natural bodybuilding is, there might be six different federations at the time. So yeah, I, will know, maybe, yeah. I will maybe check out other federations. But for now, I will definitely aim at IP Worlds and then see, see where, where we go from there. Awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. I hope by that point we'll be sharing a, a prep together in some sense, and uh, hopefully I'll be I'll be vying to 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 compete on some element of a world stage, um, whether it be amateur or, or pro. We will Absolutely. see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, gotta 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 set the goals high for sure, man. Um, yeah. Right. So, is there any anything particularly you, you'd like to leave Valentin at all? Um, where can people, if they potentially want to contact you for coaching, is there any any specific way they can contact you, especially with that? Probably best is just my my website. It's sure. just my name, ValentinTambosi.com. Okay. That's it. And I want to leave people with with uh, with the way they should think about themselves as natural bodybuilders, as natural competitors, and that is don't set limits on yourself just because you've read a study about natural bodybuilders being able to just build one pound of muscle per year. Forget <laughs> that stuff, man. Try to optimize everything. Try to optimize every variable in your training and nutrition, in your recovery and everything, and then see if it's just one pound a year because I'm pretty sure it's going to be more. Yeah. And uh, if, you, if, you, if you leave everything in there, it will be more. So... Um, the way you think can really accelerate your progress. So do that. Uh, it's all up here. All up here. Yes, sir. And, and the, therefore the action that you create by thinking up here. You know, it's yep. not It's not just, oh, I'm going to think it. It's fucking think it and then action it, you know. Um, exactly. Cool. Awesome. Well, mate, thank you very much for your time again. Really appreciate it. 
Uh, I'm sure people will take home a lot from this episode. And like we said, if you do want to contact Valentin for coaching or any just general inquiries, reach out through his website um, or hit him up on Instagram. He's always very active on there. So cheers for listening, guys. And we'll chat soon. See you in a bit. Bye-bye.